Uh, man, let's get right into our sermon this morning. So we are, we're, over the course of the next five weeks, we are uh, going to be looking at the questions of Jesus. And so there are actually, if you were to do like a, 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 a query and just find out how many statements did Jesus make that are recorded in the Gospels that end in a question mark, there are about 339 of those. So out of those 339, we're going to look at five over the course of the next uh, five weeks. And we want to draw out some refreshing spiritual insight as we do that. We began last week with this statement that questions are keys that open the door to understanding. And so questions are incredibly powerful uh, all on their own. But when we begin to look at the, the, the conversations of Jesus with his disciples, with other people, uh, we can see this, this truth open up at a whole new level. And I actually have like two hopes for us as a church uh, as we engage this conversation. The first one is this, is that our curiosity will be stirred. That, that we will see the potential and the joy in asking questions. And that we'll ask more questions with a new fervor. Uh, there's an author named Neil Postman. He has this quote. He says, once you have learned to ask questions, relevant and appropriate and substantial questions, you have learned how to learn. And no one can keep you from learning whatever you want or need to know. So let's ask questions with a greater fervor this month. The second hope for us, man, is that we would learn something new about ourselves. Uh, we would learn something new about ourselves. So as we answer a question, whatever that question may be, let's answer it with, with an honest answer so that we can feel that resolve take shape in our hearts. We can stand on the honesty and be like, and learn something new about ourselves. As, as I was thinking about this hope for this week, God kind of stirred up a question in my heart. Here's the question. What is the next step that you need to take in your spiritual journey? What is the next step you need to take in your spiritual journey? So for me, I was like, I don't know, but I love the question because it causes me to pause for a moment and listen to the Lord. And like, what is that next step journey? It could be something super simple as uh, perhaps I run into the same person at the grocery store two or three times a week, two or three times a month. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I should start up a conversation with that person. And it's like, okay, I will. Like, that is the next spiritual step, right? Fasting a morning prayer life, whatever it may be. But let's take a moment together and perhaps ask this question of the Lord and then have the boldness and the joy to step into that together. When I first started thinking about this sermon series, looking at the questions of Jesus, there was one question that I was like, okay, we're definitely doing that one. That's just a no-brainer. And then the more I began to think about it, I was like, I don't know. It's just so obvious, right? There's 338 other questions. Maybe we should skip that one. And so I was studying early this week on the question that I wanted to do. 
And I noticed that in each of the chapters, in each of the different Gospels, the question that I was looking at was also in the same chapter as the one that I was deciding to omit. And I was like, how do you omit this question? And I like completely turned. I was like, no, we absolutely must look at this question. And so the question that we're looking at today is, who do people say that I am? And who do you say that I am? The question happens in all four Gospels, which is a bit of an untrue statement, because the reality of it is the answer is recorded in all four Gospels. Peter's confession of Christ is in all four Gospels. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that is where the conversation and the question lies. So for those of you who want to go home and just read all about it, uh, Matthew 16, Mark 8, Luke 9, and John 6, today... We're going to be in Matthew 16. So if you have a Bible, man, I would encourage you to open it up with me to Matthew 16. Um, again, if you have a paper Bible, man, I would encourage you to open that up. Um, and I'm, I'm going to put my phone on airplane mode just to have myself completely available in this space. I would invite you to do the same. I typically want to preach out of the New American Standard Bible. Um, so if you, you know, happen to follow along on the phone, then you will know exactly what version that I am in. Um, but man, let's open up to Matthew chapter 16 together and begin with the first verses we're going to look at today in 13, where it says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some people say that he's John the Baptist. Others will say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, Caesarea Philippi, this was the most northerly part of Jesus' journeys. And it was a remote, like, non-Jewish area that was in the foothills of the mountains of Hermon. Jesus takes his disciples here, uh, not to the town itself, but to the countryside, because the whole focus of this part of the story, the reason why this detail is included, is that this is time that Jesus is spending with his disciples alone. Not public ministry, but private instruction, impartation. Let's go here, let's get away, let's have a conversation. And then as he gets them there, Displaying his brilliance, displaying his care, he begins the moment with a question. And not just that. I mean, this is a question that they, it's an objective question. They, they know the answer to this. It's an, it's an easy thing to find out. Even if they didn't know the answer, they could walk out and find out, hey, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? But they knew that. They had heard through the grapevine answers like he's John the Baptist, right? Or he is Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So as the disciples began to answer the question for Jesus, uh, we can see three basic beliefs begin to surface about every answer. The first one is this, that Jesus was of God. And by that I mean not like connected to him divinely, like we would believe him to be, but just in that camp. Right? He is of the God of the Most High, because every person that they, that they listed was a prophet of the God of heaven and earth. So he is connected to that God. The second one is this, that every single answer, it was powerful, because this was after the death of John the Baptist. And so 
every answer that they had was a guy that had died. So there's this common belief, understanding, or assumption being made that he is back from the dead or that this person, you know, embodies that person. So there's something powerful in that. That's, that's how they are, you know, making the miracles make sense in their head. And then finally, there's this one. He is merely human. Right? So he, he's in the camp of God. He's got some cool mystical powers, but he's, but he's just a human. He's just one of these guys reincarnated or come back to visit us. They are not saying he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And so as we look at each of these answers in the beginning of this conversation, uh, we can see there's a mislabeling and a misunderstanding of Jesus then. And it's pretty easy for us to say that there's a mislabeling and misunderstanding of Jesus now. One fun detail of difference in that is that then they were trying to figure out who he was. Who is this guy? And still awaiting the Messiah. One clear point of difference for us is, is that we have like the proclamation and the claim that he is the Messiah. So in our like labeling and understanding of Jesus, we're basically grappling with the idea of do we agree with that or not? And so I don't know if you guys have heard of the, the Barna group, that they are uh, an incredible research group that does a lot of polling. I have a couple of, uh, just in that scope of kind of like what we're looking at now, these are easy to see, very difficult to read, but this first is a poll that they did, it's a little dated, 2015, um, but they asked the question, I believe Jesus was dot, dot, dot. Uh, the black is, I believe Jesus was God. Uh, the lighter gray is, I believe Jesus is only a great teacher, like a spiritual leader, not divine. And then the white is, I don't know, I'm not sure. So they have it broken up into different you know, generations. Uh, this first one in the top left is all adults. And it does have that 56% of all adults around 2015, those polled in America, believe that Jesus was indeed God. They had several questions. Um, this one I wanted to add, just I thought it was an interesting detail. One question that they asked was, when Jesus lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people. I thought it was a fascinating question to ask, and the, in the answer is even more interesting to me. So uh, you've got basically strongly agree to strongly disagree. And it goes clockwise around the circle for each one. So the green, the darkest green is strongly agree. He committed sins. And the darkest graphite is strongly disagree. He was the sinless, perfect man of God. And so you have uh, in all adults, 24% saying, yep, I agree. I believe he sinned. And then 31% saying, I disagree completely. He did not sin. And so um, we are going to come, in to come across plenty of people, depending upon who we hang out with, that have beliefs, ideas, imaginations, opinions about who Jesus of Nazareth actually was. I mean, we're likely to encounter everywhere on the spectrum of possibility what somebody might think. So what do we do with this question? Who do people say that I am? What do we do with this question? I would say, first, ask it. 
Like, find out about the people around you. What do they think about Jesus? Don't be afraid to have the conversation. If anything, I would say look forward to the conversation. Engage this conversation. And as we do that, man, let's listen to understand and learn about those that we inquire. So if we have no idea what people's thoughts are about Jesus, when we ask them what they think about Jesus, what we're really asking them is, you know, how can I learn more about you? Right? Well, how can I learn, like, where you stand and why you stand there? It's not so much like, are you on board or not, right? Um, <laughs> it's more like, I, I want to know about you. I want to know about your story, your spiritual journey. And then as we listen to learn more about them, I would say this, allow our listening to be a sifting that strengthens our own answer. So like if you think about like, you know, gold miners that would pan for gold, they'd put it deep in the water, they'd pull up all this dirt and rocks and pebbles and hopefully maybe some gold. And they would begin to sift and shake it. And they would allow the things that they didn't want to fall through the sifter, looking for the things that they absolutely wanted. They were, they were after the gold. So what I'm saying with these suggestions is that as we engage this conversation, I think it's important of children of God that we do just that. Um, let's realize that what we hear is going to do one of two things. It's either going to encourage our belief and encourage the truth about Jesus, or it's going to show us this is not who Jesus is, and it's going to help us stand stronger in the truth that we believe about him. So for example, for me personally, when I see the graph about Jesus did sin, when he sees on the earth, I'm sifting, I'm panning, and for me, that's dropping straight back into the water, because I don't believe that. I believe that the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin, so that we might see the righteousness of God, Right? There's also other people that I have heard some interesting things from. For example, one of my favorite worship leaders, Amanda Cook. Um, so she's the one who did You Make Me Brave. Uh, she's responsible for several songs that the world now includes, and it's, what I would say, our current hymn book. Uh, I listen to, like, everything she puts out because I just absolutely love her heart. I love her style of composing. I love all of it. I love all of it. On her first full-length album, she has a song called Kind. And the structure of the song says, you are, here's all the things you're not. And then the chorus simply says, you are kind. And so, again, listening to her answer of who does she say Jesus is. She says, you are not a tyrant king. You are not a tyrant king. You do not delight in suffering. Your power doesn't compensate for insecurity. No, you are not a tyrant king. She says, you are not an angry man. You do not treat us with contempt. Your voice is sure, your eyes are soft, your smile confident. You are not an angry man. And then the song slows, and then the chorus comes in. 
and quietly, repeatedly, intentionally. You are kind. You are kind. And we can even see here that saying you are not a tyrant king, there is the profession that he absolutely is king. Right? You are not an angry man. It affirms what the Psalms say. That, uh, I would say most of the New you can find this phrase in a lot of the New Testament. And that is, you know, the Lord is, uh, the Lord is gracious. He is slow to anger. He is filled with unfailing love and good to all. One more song and one more phrase of hers that I absolutely love. A song called Be Still. And she has a phrase in that song that says, you know everything. And yet you listen. Right? You know everything. And yet you listen. So it, it, it affirms the, um, the, the complete all-knowing nature of God. But it also confirms his incredible patience. And listening ear and heart toward us. His compassion toward us. You know everything, and yet you listen to my anxious thoughts with compassion, and one by one they fall into perfect peace. So when I hear her answer the question, who does she say he is, in my sifting, I'm like, yep, there's a beautiful way that this affirms what I know is true of Jesus. So with all that being said, I want to preface, man, our look at the next question with this point of clarity. Uh, when, when we hear answers about what people say, um, my wording here is very intentional. Our listening can be a sifting that strengthens our belief. But if we're looking to inform our belief, I would submit to you that the information must come directly from God. Like it has to come from his word. It has to come from his spirit. It has to come from him directly. Jesus himself told Peter at the end of our passage today, that God the Father revealed this truth of Jesus to Peter. That it was God that placed the seed of revealing faith into Peter's open heart. So with that in mind, let's look at the next question. Matthew 16, verses 15 and 16. Then Jesus asked to them, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of of the living God. Now quickly, from an original Greek text standpoint, the question, but who do you say that I am? It says, you, space. Who do you say I am? So there's this incredibly intentional, I said it twice, I'm really asking you. Who do you say I am? Before we get there, Michael, if you would just go back one slide. I mean, right here, yeah, right there. Because I would love for us to sit here for a moment and allow, like, our eyes and our hearts to take in this short but incredibly powerful and wonderful, adoring conversation. And then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
Now, some of the questions that we'll look at in this series, they are rhetorical questions. Last week, we looked at a rhetorical question. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus was asking the question to make a point, not to receive an answer. But today, this question, who do you say I am? It absolutely leaves room for us to answer the question. He waited. We don't know how long, but there was a response. And I would say to you that this is a question that all of us will answer. Every human on the planet will answer this question. We will either do so with great intentionality and care or with flippant disregard. But I don't think any of us dodges the responsibility of submitting an answer. So what do we do with this question? What do we do with this question? But who do you say I am? Again, uh, first off, we're not forming an opinion. We're seeking the truth. So as we answer this question for ourselves, it's not what do you think about Jesus, right? One sentence that I read this week, I love it. It says, our answer to this question will not change who he is. Our answer to this question will not change who he is. And so we're not forming an opinion. We are seeking the truth. Man, so can I encourage all of us, let us not spend our time and energy defining Jesus. No, 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 no. Let us spend ourselves discovering him. Discovering his truth. Discovering his honesty, his care, his compassion, his power, his ability to heal, his patience. All of the things that are true of him, his timing, his complete forgiveness of our imperfections, his restoration of our hearts to the heart of God. Man, let's spend ourselves discovering who he is. As I was thinking about that, and I mean saying this sentence and putting this on the screen, I began to think about like you guys. And I began to picture all the different ages and faces that we have here this morning. So you can look, right? I mean, we have everyone. I, really, I pictured Charles in my mind. And I was like, I, and I, I pictured Stefan. And I was like, man, we're going to have every age, everybody represented. And the truth of the matter is, whether you've known Jesus for a couple weeks or for a couple decades or more, there's still more to know. There's a depth and a newness and a joy that's there. And so like these actually compound, right? So we're not forming an opinion. We're seeking the truth and the depth of our discovery. That's going to determine our relationship. That's going to determine our relationship. So have you ever had somebody call you by the wrong name? Have you ever called somebody by the wrong name? Yeah. So as a pastor, it's like a thing for pastors to know everybody's name. And so I will do my very best to commit to names in conversation. And if I get it wrong, man, I get it wrong, but I commit to it, right? Um, and so there have been times, like with Matt, for example, who does our camera. The first time I was like, okay, I know it's, I got M and A right, all right? So from like a percentage standpoint, I, there was actually M, A, and two consonants. I just missed the two consonants and called them Mark. And I was like, Mark, and boy, I was saying Mark with such fervor, I was like, your name is Mark. And I was like, is your name Mark? And he was like, no, it's Matt. And I was like, dang it. I don't know him very well. 
Um, I, I don't know him very well yet. Now I know his name is Matt. And we got the chance to talk last week. I know he's, you know, uh, got a lot of emphasis and passion in, in filming. And he, we were talking about screenwriting last week. And I began to learn more about Matt, M-A-T-T, Matt. And as I learn more about him, discover more about him, our relationship begins to grow. And now I know that he writes screenplays. And if I need a screenplay written, I can go to Matt. I can say, hey, man, I need this. Can you help me out? People that we know well, man, we know them well. There are other people in your life that you know everything about them, most everything about them. You know, you know, this stuff, you know what you can expect out of them. And even though you can't expect certain things, let's, let's say that they're habitually late. You can expect that of them, and you have grace for that, but you know them. Again, the depth of our discovery determines the depth of our relationship. I'm, I'm not quite done yet. Boy, I, I thank you for Mike's life. No, that's, uh, he's hungry. No, um, that's silly. That's such a silly church joke. Okay, um, the depth of our discovery. So check this out. There are some people that we know really well. Well, I was talking to this with a friend of mine named Joey, and I'll probably mention Joey a lot because we talk almost literally every day. I was telling him about this part of the sermon, and what he said was, man, there are certain people that really get me. Like Joey, he's saying, there are people, when I'm around them, man, they know me. And when, and, and when they do, when I get around them, like it energizes me. And it pulls things out of me that don't always get pulled out of me. And I was like, dude, that is good. He's a pastor, by the way. So I said, I'm stealing that. But it's true. What we know of Jesus, there's a, there's a, there's a drawing out of him that delights him when we know him ever-deepening depths. Okay, let's go, Michael. Uh, finally, our relationship with him shapes our representation of him. So we're seeking the truth. And as we continue to seek and learn and discover, we're going to have a greater depth of relationship with him. And as our relationship grows, our representation of him grows. Think about like the parable, um, I think it's Matthew 25, where Jesus talks about the, the parable of the talents. It's a story about three guys that get three gifts, five talents, two talents, one talent. The first two guys double theirs, and the other guy, he gets one talent, and the story says, man, like, I was scared of you. He told the master, I was scared of you because I believe you to be a hard man, an angry man, and a man who, like, harvests out of fields that aren't yours. And so I, I buried the talent just to make sure I didn't lose it and give it back to you. And that belief, that understanding is shaping his relationship with him as well as his representation of him. Because it wasn't true. That representation wasn't true of the master. It was a poor representation. And there's also a story, I believe it's in Luke chapter 7, but it's the story where Jesus goes over to a, uh, a Pharisee's house. His name is Simon. And there's this lady there and she begins to, like, wash Jesus' feet with her hair and, 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 and why. I mean, he's just like, she is pouring herself over him. And Jesus asks, okay, so if somebody is forgiven a little bit and somebody is forgiven a lot, who out of those two is going to love more? And Simon's like, well, the one who's forgiven a lot. He's like, yes, you've answered correctly. 
And he's like, she has not quit, you know, wetting my, wet, wetting my feet or washing them with her hair or, or kissing my feet because there's this immense gratitude, adoration, love, all of it is basically falling out of us. So if we know the generosity of God, I believe it will make us more generous people. If we know personally the forgiveness of God, we can't help but grow in our forgiveness of others. If we see like the restorative power of God's forgiveness and so on and so on, his kindness, his patience, boy, that one's a fun one to learn, isn't it? But as we have that relationship with him, it will increase our representation of him. So as we answer this question this week, and Jonathan, if you would, this is the, this is the sweet spot. As we answer this question this week, who do you say that I am? And that's an assumption on my part. I'm, I'm now assuming you're going to answer the question again this week. Uh, I encourage you to answer the question this week. Who do you say he is? And let's first, let's give fresh words to our answer. One assumption that I won't make is that there's nobody in here who hasn't said Jesus is the Son of God yet. I believe it's quite possible there's somebody here right now who's like, man, you know what? I've never actually like, decided that in my heart. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is a part of the Trinity. Like He's got this cool, legitimate, mystical, out-of-time-and-space place in the history and like, architecture of all things. If you have not made that decision in your heart, but sense a desire to do so today, I'll be standing right here when we're done, and I invite you to come talk to me about it. I'd love to hear what's going on inside of you. Now, for those of us who have stepped into that and said, absolutely, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came, who was prophesied for hundreds and thousands of years to be the one to bring right restoration for us to God, adopt us into his family, and make all the things that we know to be true, true for us. Man, let's give fresh words to our answer this week. What can we say poetically or emphatically, just like Amanda Cook says, right? Man, she says some emphatic stuff like, you make me brave, right? What fresh words can we add to our answer to affirm it, to discover it, and step into it more? And I'm going to say this, if you have answered that question with the belief in the truth that he is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God, Secondly, I want you to know that you are blessed. I want you to receive what Jesus says to Simon. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Blessed are you, Simon Peter. I'm sure there are plenty of days Simon Peter did not feel blessed. 
It was hard. It was difficult. It was like, man, am I even getting this right? In Jesus' presence, after his ascension, whatever. There are days we don't feel blessed. But please know, regardless of our feelings, we are blessed. We're in this incredibly true, all-encompassing, all-redeeming relationship with the Son of God who's invited us into like the presence of like the sovereign God. We're welcomed into the family of the Trinity. We're welcomed into being a div- an ambassador of divinity. So let's put some fresh words as to who we say he is this week. Let's remember, man, we're blessed, we're equipped, we're able to grow in our relationship with him and share him well as we walk out our lives together.